0: What a Savior and what a friend we have in our Lord. Thank you, Judy. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the 17th chapter of John. John chapter 17. As we continue in our study of this great book, this great gospel, and thinking about what our Lord is doing on this particular time is important. He's praying. We've talked about that. He's praying. He's lifting his eyes toward heaven to his Father, his Heavenly Father, and he's praying just like we do, just like we turn our faces and our hearts toward him and we pray. It's, it's a very important part of the, of the Christian life. It's a very important part of our Savior's life, and we ought not miss that. But I'll tell you what, I think if we miss and we forget to remember, if we, forget to remember, if we fail to remember what Jesus has been going through up into this prayer, what the disciples have been going through up into this prayer, then I think we miss the whole significance of the prayer. It's not just that Jesus said, okay, I'll pray now. And he started praying. The disciples have been pressing him. Even in the upper room, even to the very last moment, the disciples have been pressing him for one simple thing. Jesus, declare yourself as king. Jesus, declare yourself as the one who's going to sit on the throne and you're going to bring righteousness back to the nation. You're going to bring right laws back to the nation. You're going to make this a just and a fair place to live again and we're not going to be under the thumb of Rome. Uh, They're saying, Jesus, come on, you're the Messiah. Declare yourself to be king. We read that in the Gospels, and perhaps we read it a little too shallowly, a little too lightly. We think maybe they just said one time, "Oh, if you would be the king. No, they're pressing him. They're pushing him. They're wanting him. That may even be at the very heart of why Judas betrayed him. Judas wanted a king to sit on the throne, on David's throne in Jerusalem, and throw everybody out, throw the scoundrels out. That's what they wanted. But Jesus didn't give it to him because Jesus had something greater as his purpose than just setting up an earthly kingdom. You know, when I think about us today, and, and I thought about a lot about this this week. God's even convicted me on some things this week. I, I, I thought about, what do Christians want today? And are we really any different than the disciples were prior to the crucifixion? And the resurrection. What, what do Christians want today? Well, we want a president. We want a Congress or, and a court system who are all Christians and who will bring righteousness back to the nation. Now, don't get me wrong. I'll, I'll vote for a believer. I'll vote for a Christian for public office. I, I, I think we can't do any worse with Christians in there, for sure. But, but I, uh, I want you to understand, that, ain't, that is not the answer. That is not what is going to bring righteousness to the nation. That's not what is going to change this nation to what God would intend for this nation to be. A Christian president, a Christian congress, we could put a hundred Christians in the Senate, 300, oh, excuse me, 435 congressmen in the U.S. Congress, a president and a vice president sitting in those offices, and it would not make one bit of difference if our nation is still what our nation is. I think we want a president of congress a court system uh, who will bring righteous nation but jesus is not giving us that he's giving us something better you know what that is it's the church jesus is giving us himself as our bridegroom our husband and the church to be his bride and to be his body on this earth and the reason we see righteousness failing in the nation, the reason we see the people, uh, the people just turning away uh, with any kind of understanding what righteousness is, is not because we don't have a president or a congress or a court that are all believers. It's because we don't have a church being the church in the 21st century. Listen, I've supported, and you know I'm a political animal. You go back and read in my 11th grade biography that i wrote for 11th grade english at oxford high school in oxford alabama and it says what do you want to be by the time you're 40 years old and my ambition and it's written there in black and white unless they finally destroyed it it says by the time i'm 40 i want to be a united states senator from the state of alabama i barely lived in alabama since then but that was my goal I love politics. I got involved in political campaigns. I thought if we elected the right guy. When I was in Georgia, we had a guy who was an ungodly person as a representative. And I thought, you know, if we can just elect a Christian to replace him. And I got involved in that campaign. And we had coffees and teas. And we did all sorts of things to bring people together in neighborhoods. And lo and behold, one of the most powerful congressional candidates in the state of Georgia was defeated by a believer who was later taken out of office for corruption. Now listen, I believe Pat was a believer. I believe he knew the Lord. I I believe he is still in a relationship with Christ. But he was foolish. I guess we should have known because his last name was Swindle. We should have worried about that. I don't know. But I believed, I believed he was the man. He was going to bring change to the Congress from the state of Georgia. He was going to be somebody, I mean, everybody was looking at him. That's probably going to be the next, one of the next presidents of the United States. And within a matter of his first term, he was able to be at least naively led astray, if, if not corrupted. But he had all this power now. And it went to his head. Built a beautiful home about $6 million worth in Stone Mountain, Georgia. I remember standing in the, in the den as he was having a party there one night, and I was standing next to the guy who owned uh, uh, Edwards Pie Company. Is that, I believe that's the name of it. Uh, a, a gentleman who's probably a millionaire many times over, had a great business there. And we were standing there drinking punch and, and eating little cookies, and, and he looked over at me and he said, Pastor, this seems more presidential than it does congressional. I've thought about that many times, how it just kind of human nature, cause of the fall, if not kept under check by the power of God's Holy Spirit, if not kept under check by the power of the Lord in a person's life, can captivate and stretch and change a person just like that. And there's nothing more intoxicating, nothing more alluring, nothing more seducing than the political process. So we cry out and we say, Lord, today we want a president, we want a congress, we want a court system who are all Christians so they'll bring righteousness back to the nation. And Jesus says in this prayer, I'm not going to give you that. That's not what you need. That's not my purpose. My purpose is to give you the church. And he starts praying for what that church ought to be. He starts praying for what the church will look like as they submit to him, as they give in to his lordship, as they say, Lord, you are the one who guides us. You are the one who drives us. You are the one who controls us. We're not out for power. We're not out for acclaim. We're not out for anything. We just want to be faithful to you. And he says, this is what I'm praying for. Listen to what he says, starting in verse 12, as he continues praying. Talking to his father, he says, While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name. That is protecting them, guarding them, keeping them in your name, those which you have given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so the Scripture might be fulfilled. That is Judas. And the Scripture had had prophesied that Judas would betray, that one of the twelve would betray him, and, and Judas fulfilled the Scripture there. Verse 13, But now, but now I come to you. These things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. By by the way, that first part of that is just sort of a a, a play on what he says on the cross. He says, It is finished. He's saying, I'm I'm coming to you now, Lord. It's finished. My work is about to be absolutely accomplished. I'm coming to you. Not going to be in the world anymore. But I pray that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. But I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but rather to keep them from the evil one, to protect them from the evil one, Satan himself. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they may themselves also be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but also on behalf of those who uh, those who also who believe in me through their word. That's you and me. Praying for us. That they may all be one. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. There's the the union in Christ. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me and they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, Although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. What a prayer. But you see, that prayer doesn't make a lot of sense, I don't think. Unless you understand it in the context of here are some disciples who are wanting a king. Here are some disciples who are just totally confused about this talk of death. Who are totally sidetracked by this idea of Jesus going as a sacrifice and a substitute. Why they don't want that. They don't want the spiritual side of this. They want the reality of a king sitting on a throne and ruling. They want somebody who can bring back what the, they want somebody to bring back the old days. The good old days. The good old days it probably never were. You're old, may not have been so good. But that's what they want. Lord, bring back the throne of David, bring back the power, bring back all of the stuff that we're looking for and longing for and wanting. And Jesus says, wait a minute, I'm doing something better than that. I'm giving my church, I'm giving my people, I'm getting my body affected on the face of the earth. And as my body spreads, and as my body is committed to what my body is supposed to be committed to, then it will make all the difference in the world. Then you'll start seeing righteousness, not from the top down, but from the bottom up. You'll start seeing, if you will, the grassroots movement of the gospel among the people. And you'll start pe- seeing men's and women's lives change. And when men's and women's lives are changed, then the culture will change. And when the culture will change, then there will be righteousness in the land. I mean, I mean, we live in a culture that flaunts anything righteous. You know that. If you watched the NFL draft this week, you know that they flaunt it in your face and then they replay it in your face and then they replay it and replay it and replay it in your face over and over and over again just so they can say see we're enlightened we're we're smarter we're doing what we want to do we're not about to listen to what god wants us to do see part of the problem though for our culture is that the church has not been the church You studied that in Sunday school a little bit this morning. Your your lesson warned warned about a church that concentrates on entertainment, concentrates on drawing a crowd. Anybody can draw a crowd. Barnum Barnum drew a crowd with monkeys and elephants and people swinging on on wires. We we can draw a crowd. That's no big deal. Building a church is something else. A crowd is not does not make a church. And a church may or may not be a crowd. Jesus is saying here, there's six things. Six things that I'm praying for that, that flow naturally out of this prayer. Six things that you might call a mark of a church that's really following and submitting to Jesus Christ. But he says, starting in verse 13, he simply says, Listen, I ask you, Father, that they may have my joy made full in themselves. Joy. Now, we've kind of sold out to joy, sold out for something short of joy in our, in our day. We, we bought into happiness. I want to be happy, and doesn't God want us all to be happy? No, not necessarily. God wants us all to be filled with His joy. But joy and happiness are two entirely different things. We've talked about that numerous times. Joy, happiness is based on circumstances. Happiness is based on whether or not everything is going like we want it to go. Happiness is based on whether or not we're getting our way. Happiness is based on everything just being copacetic in our life. Joy is based on the reality of knowing that God's in control of all things. Joy is knowing that God will take me through a difficult time, whether it's a sickness or whether it's a financial difficulty, or whether it's relational difficulties, or whether it's whatever it is, that that I have the joy of Christ because I know that God is in control, and God is moving, and God is working in my life, and I put my trust and I put my hope in Him. See, the Scripture says Jesus, You know, we talk about Him being a man of sorrows. Man of sorrows, what a name! For the Son of God who came, he was a man of sorrows. He he suffered and he was punished and he died unjustly. He was a man of sorrows, but the scripture tells us that in the midst of that sorrows he knew joy. He said, the right Hebrew says, it was for joy that he went to the cross. It was for joy that he died in your place, in my place. Not that he liked it, not that he was happy about it. There was no happiness in the midst of that. But there was joy because he knew what was yet to come. Jesus says, I just pray, Father, that they will have my joy made full in themselves. Joy comes from trusting him. Totally. You know what takes away joy? Joy. What strips it away and takes it away from your life? Sin. Sin. Disobedience to God's word. Disobedience to God's purpose in your life. I'm not talking about legalism here. I'm not talking about somehow getting a bunch of do's and don'ts and saying, I'll live up to these. That's not it at all. I'm just talking about simple righteousness and obedience. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But sin strips away joy. It happened to David. When David fell into the sin with Bathsheba and, and killed her husband and killed other troops to try to cover up his sin with Bathsheba, when he did all those things, you know, you, you find David, when, when finally Nathan comes to him, the prophet, and points his bony finger in his face, tells a little parable, gets David all worked up and said, that person needs to be punished. And David looks at, uh, Nathan looks at him points at him and says, but but." But King David, you're the one. You're him. He sat down and he wrote Psalm 51. Greatest prayer of confession and repentance you'll find anywhere in the Bible. When he gets down to that point, he says, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. We don't have joy in our salvation because we've let sin infect our life in such a way that it drives the joy out. And we live in a day that don't want to talk about repentance. We don't want to talk about dealing with sin. We just want to write it off as well, that's just a little that's I'm just human. Jesus says, I pray their joy may be full. And then he says, in in verse sixteen, he says, Because, here's the reason, they're not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. He starts talking about holiness there. He says, I'm not of the world, they're not of the world, so sanctify them in truth. word sanctify. We get our word sanctification from it. We are, we're born again by justification. In justification, we are made right with God. And then we begin the process of sanctification, which is growth, which is holiness, which is becoming more Christ-like. And, and Jesus says here, Lord, I pray for, I, I pray that my church will be holy. I pray that my church will be sanctified, my, my body, my people. I, I pray that those who are apart, those, those who say, I trust Jesus, I love Jesus, I'm Part of the church. I pray, Lord, they'll be holy. Sanctify them in the truth. Sanctify them in the truth. And he says, Lord, I ask you to protect them from the evil one. The evil one, the one who would seek to destroy them, the one who would seek to lead them into sin, the one who wants to strip away their joy, the one who wants to destroy their testimony, the one who wants to make them look like hypocrites in the world. Lord, I pray you will protect them, keep them, guard them from the evil one, Satan himself. I realize that's not really politically correct to talk about Satan today, that... Reality of Satan, that's just a, it's just kind of a, a parable, just kind of a figment, just kind of a, an illustration of something. But let me tell you, I, I stick with Spurgeon here on this one. Spurgeon said, uh, when you start denying the reality of Satan, it's not long before you deny the reality of God. And that's true. So Jesus says, make them holy, protect them from the evil one. Make them holy, guard them from the one who wants to strip away their joy and make them look like phonies. Make them holy. And, and, and Father, the third mark of the church is you'll do that holy. You'll make them holy in the truth because your word, your infallible word, inerrant word, authoritative word, is truth. We dealt with that last week in our family summit. and We talked about that. that that it's the truth that will guard your hearts and your minds. It's God's truth that will, help you keep, will keep you holy. It's God, God's truth that you must immerse your mind in and immerse your hearts in that you might be protected in the world in which we live So those three are internal. They're they're inwards. He said, I pray for their joy. I pray for their holiness. And in that, the protection from the Holy One. And I pray that truth will be magnified among them. Now, let me tell you something. If those three are not present in your life, and those three are not present in a church, the other three make no sense whatsoever. Okay? They're, They're foolishness. Because the last three are predicated on the first three. The last three are... The last three have to, if they're going to be there, the first three have to be in place. Joy, holiness, and truth. Because then he says in verse 18, As you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. The church from before Jesus even died was planned to be a mission organization. A mission organization. And believers were planned by Christ before he we ever went to the cross, before he ever died in our place. It was his purpose, his plan, that the church would be a mission organization and that individual believers within that church would be missionaries. Paul called them ambassadors. We are ambassadors for Christ. What is in the world is an ambassador? An ambassador that go, is one that goes into an alien or a foreign or even sometimes a, a hostile situation and represents the king or the president or the, or the ruler. And that's where we're called as believers. We're called to be ambassadors for Christ, taking the truth of God, the holiness of Christ, the joy that He gives, and taking it into a hostile environment that might be right next door. It's certainly where we live. Jesus said, as you sent me into the world, Lord, so I have sent them into the world. Now, now we don't go to die in somebody's place we might we might certainly die there's certainly martyrs dying every day for the cause of christ around the world not not here in the united states we don't believe in that kind of stuff we're too comfortable but around the world there are people dying people going to prison every day for the gospel But he said, I've sent them in the world, not to die in their place, that was my mission, you sent me on, Father, but I've sent them to proclaim that mission and to take that mission. And and most of us, sadly, in the church today, don't see ourselves as on mission wherever we go. Because we need to be on mission, you've got to have a pulpit and you've got to have a, you know, you at least got to have some training, you've got to have some, You've some. We just got to be a little more spiritual than you are. You know, the f- funny thing is, to be on mission is really quite simple if we look at it within the context in which we live. I mean, first thing about being on mission is just look for opportunities. Tomorrow, somebody is probably going to talk to you about some deep hurt in their life. For many of you. Not all of you, but some of them they will. And somebody's going to talk to you about just losing hope. And they don't have any hope. And you're going to stand there and go, hmm, I'm sorry. You know, walk away. Or maybe you're a little more spiritual than that. Maybe you'll say, oh, I'll be praying for you. There's an opportunity just to share the gospel gently and lovingly. You know, when you get the opportunity, just. Don't overcomplicate it. You know, I, we do that sometimes. We, well, uh, and let, me, let me go get a track. Let me go get a book. Let me go get several things I can read here to you. And, and, and you don't have to do that. Don't, don't overcomplicate it. Keep it simple. You know, I've had times in my own life, you could say, where I felt that way. Let me tell you what Christ did. Let me tell you why Christ, how Christ got me out of that. Let me tell you why the gospel changes the whole way you look at things. I love that psalm we, sang, we read this morning uh, uh, responsively, Psalm 73. I read that psalm at least twice a month because it's, it's the psalmist in depression. Things aren't going like he thinks they should, you know, like he wants them to be. He says, I've kept my hands clean. I've been godly. I've done everything I'm supposed to do. And I look out, and boy, the wicked are prospering. Their eyes bulge with fatness. Now, we think that's bad. That was a sign of prosperity. I just lived 2,000, 3,000 years too late. You know? It's a sign of prosperity. Don't don't make it more complicated. It has to be just share the power of Christ. You know, stay away from religious language. It's funny how sometimes we even talk, talk to you, well, thou must trust Christ, you know? Let's pray, Thou, O Heavenly Father, Thou art the great. Just say, Lord, my friend here needs help. You're a friend of sinners. You're a friend of those in need. And Lord, I'm, I'm just asking you to help. I just religiousize it and make it more difficult. Focus on truth, not on what we might call personal benefits of Christianity. You know, your own mission, don't, don't say, well, you know, if you'll just trust Jesus, they'll have a $1,000 in your bank account tomorrow. Maybe a million. Well, if you'll just trust Jesus, that cancer will go away just like that. You can't make those kind of promises. You can't tell them the truth, though, that if you trust Jesus, God's going to do a work in your life that's even far better than a million dollars or being cancer-free. He's going to forgive you of your sin. He's going to make you a new creature, make you a new person. Stay calm. You You ever tried to share with somebody and they don't want to have it and you just get real angry with them? Well, why don't you believe? You an idiot or something? You know, just stay calm. If they want to walk away, let them walk away. You know, We, we get the idea that man, we've got to be the one that saves them right now. Maybe you're just planting seeds. Maybe somebody else is going to water it. Maybe somebody else is going to, maybe somebody else is going to harvest it. Just stay calm, and if they want to walk away, let them walk away. You can give them something. Give them a New Testament or give them a, a Gospel of John and say, Hey, would you just read this? Give them a two ways to live we have available for you out on the welcome desk. I mean, on mission. On mission to take the gospel. And if you don't understand holiness, you don't understand joy, you don't understand truth, you won't be on mission. You'll be on your own personal trip for happiness. And it's just not very happy-feeling to be on mission sometimes. He prays for two more things. We've got to go. He prays for unity. Verse 21, he says, I pray that they may be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they may be in us. Unity, oneness, he talks about that again down in the, the later verses. He talks about this being together in union with Christ. God and Christ and the Holy Spirit are in union in the Trinity. And he said, I pray that they may be in us as we are in one another and that we'll be in them. And, and, and there's this whole idea of unity and that unity will flow over to one another. You say, well, well we're not doing a very good job of that, are we? I mean, we're, we're people that have all sorts of denominations, you've got, you've got everything claiming to be Christian from Mormons to Catholics to Presbyterians to Methodists to Baptists to, to uh, Episcopal and everything else in there, claiming to be Christian. Not a much unity there, is there? Here's where I say if you don't understand those first three, you'll, you'll really misunderstand this one. He's not saying it's unity at all costs. Not saying it's unity around unity. He's not saying just have a big party and everybody be happy and and don't worry about what... It's around truth. It's around Christ. It's around the truth of who He is and and who He says He is and around the holiness that He has called us to. So unity, he's saying here, has to be around truth. No, you're you're not going to have churches that... One church that denies the deity of Christ, another that proclaims the full deity of Christ, saying, oh, well, we can just all be one together. No, can't do that. But those who profess and believe the truth ought to be together. There ought to be a a oneness within a body like this because we profess those things. There ought to be a unity. We ought not fight over, you know, secondary matters. You know, we ought not fight over the carpet color. We ought not fight over the fact that, that we do a multiple ty- styles of music. I mean, we, we, we try to worship in the fullest or way, in, a, in various ways, you know. And, and as long as the truth is there, you know, we let little things, little things divide. And we can't do that. We just can't do that. Mission, unity in that mission, and finally love. Sounds like a love by revelation to me, a love by His presence in verse 26. I've made your name known to them, and I will make it known. I'll keep making it known. It'll stay made known by the Holy Spirit living in us so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Love. The love of Christ. The love that we don't understand just by natural liking something or someone. The the love of Christ that permeates us because He has loved us first, and now we love Him, and because we love Him, John says in, in 1 John, then we will love one another. And his love will fill us. His love will flow out of us. His love will overflow us. Love for brothers and sisters in Christ, and love for those who don't know him. Not because we love them because they're nice folks, but we love them because we love him. We obey him, we seek to know his holiness. Joy, holiness, truth, mission, unity, and love. No. He's not going to give us a president. He's not going to give us a Congress. He's not going to give us a Supreme Court or other courts to make us holy. He's given us Himself and He's given us His church. And we, as part of His church, must be diligent to be the things He's prayed for in this, for us, in every respect. Let's pray together.